We were singing that song together. Some of you look like you're freezing, so I'm going to turn this up just a tad at this morning. I don't want y'all having to freeze too much. I mean, I'm hot, but I'm used to being hot, so that's okay. But this morning, if you will, find your place in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 this morning. The book of Galatians, as we find ourselves again in chapter 1, there's something I want to start doing. Me and, me and Mr. Terry, we, we run into this evangelist. You've heard me talk about it, Brother Mike Bagman. What he does is he's a, what we call a sequential expositor. He takes, a, he takes a passage of the Bible. We found him in Psalm 22 the other week. I don't know how the brother managed it, but he preached through the whole psalm in only five services. It was miraculous for Brother Bagwell if you've ever heard of him. But what he does is when he goes to a place, he'll have how many chapters have you read? So in that week he was in Psalm 22. So they counted the number of times that that congregation that week read Psalm 22. So he introduced it the first time. And then that Sunday night, I believe it was, when he came back, he said, how many times have you read it? And he takes a number tallying those things. So for the book of Galatians, since it's only six chapters, what we're going to do marching forward is we're going to record how many times you all are reading the book of Galatians. We're going to strive to be reading the book of Galatians together. We're going to count the chapters. So Lord willing, we'll conclude chapter one. Again, that's Lord willing. We'll conclude chapter one this morning. But next week, let's try to read chapter two. So I want to know how many times... For each of you that you read chapter 2. Or you can read the whole book of Galatians and that will count as 6. Y'all get the picture here? So we're going to strive to do that. And we're going to try to keep up with that tally. We'll have some means of tracking it. Ms. Tara has agreed to help us on that. She's wonderful at those things. I appreciate her so much for that. But if you will, the challenge for next week is going to be see how many chapters you can read in this book. Again, if you read the whole book, that's six chapters. Read it as many times. If you listen to it, that counts as well. If you're like me and you like to bring up your Bible app and click play on the chapters, that will count as well. But let us try to be faithful. And again, it's not to glorify us. The purpose of this is to be reading the Word of God. And I find that when we challenge ourselves and we have a means of tracking that challenge, Sometimes we do better about those challenges. So we're going to give it a spin, see how it works for us. And it's worked well for Brother Bagwell over the years. I've wanted to do it for some time. But if y'all will join us as we read Galatians this morning, we're actually going to get a Kickstarter on it. We're all going to read chapter 1 of Galatians together, and we're going to count it for each chapter. Like I'm going to count one chapter, you're going to count one chapter, so on and so forth. So we'll have a bunch of chapters this morning. But let's read the entirety of Galatians chapter 1 again this morning. Galatians chapter 1. Paul an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For I do, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, 
but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly jealous, zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Let us go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father, we thank you for this text. We once again pray that you would open it unto our eyes, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear, God, that you would plant the seeds of these blessed truths in our hearts that in due season, God, they're going to produce the fruit that you would have them to in our lives. God, we pray that it would be a fruit that ultimately is offered up unto you. But, Father, we pray that somebody else may also be able to see the fruit and understand and see that something is different about us because of the work that you have done us in, oh God. Father, we just pray that you would be with us as we as we walk through this passage together, God, that you would just feed your lambs and feed your sheep as only you can do. Lord, if there be somebody that's never been born again, Father, this morning we pray that they would be born again. And Father, if not this morning, we pray that you take this text and work it in them in this week to come tonight, some other time in the week, oh God. And Father, bring them to yourself that they may repent and trust only in you, oh God, and be truly born again, oh God. What a wonderful blessing that would be, oh God. Father, we pray it all, we plead it all in thy Son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. Again, as we see, Paul is talking to the church of Galatia, but it should be noted every time when we come to this passage how he is addressing them because verse verse 6, he just gets on to them. I mean, verse 6 is just Paul just ripping into them and being like, I marvel that you are so soon gone. And Paul's absolutely upset with them, but notice the way in which he does it. He comes to them and he's saying, our Lord, and he's saying, our Father, how he says the will of God and our Father, that Paul is still connecting himself to them. He's saying this is our Father. He is not separating himself from the churches of Galatia. Instead, he is connecting himself to them. It's not that we separate ourselves. I was asking some questions this morning. I'm not wanting to separate ourselves from other denominations necessarily. Now, they might have some things that need straightening out. I believe everybody ought to be just like us, don't y'all? No, I believe that we ought to be better if the truth is to be said about it. I believe that there are things that are lacking even among us that we need to be doing. So there is not yet, we have not yet reached perfection even as a group of us. And I know that no other denomination has yet reached perfection. If you don't believe me, there's about 5,000 different types of Baptists just in Harrelson County alone, I think. So you can find these different truths. You find that we are separated by these different things. But beloved, instead of latching onto those things that separate us, let us be as Paul. There may be a word of correction, but 
let us approach it as in continuity with each other, as in fellowship with one another. There is something so special when we can go be with other churches, other congregations, be it on vacation, be it just going to revival meetings, something of that nature, and just being one with them. Mr. Aaron, I, I love going to Arbor Meeting. I told y'all, some of y'all about it. Arbor Meeting was this past week, and I've learned a lot of Brother T.J. Cochran, and we've been blessed to have him here with us before as he proclaimed the Word of God for a couple of Sundays for us here. But just what a blessing it was to be a part of that and to understand that, hey, there's other churches. There's Truth Baptist Church. There's Sunrise in, in Carrollton. There's other churches that I didn't even know about, churches in Alabama, churches in North Georgia, that were represented there this week. And we have fellowship with one another. I may not agree with them on everything, but hallelujah, what a meeting it is when we can come together and fellowship with one another. And do you know what I love even more is when all of us get corrected on stuff. The rest of the week was okay. We enjoyed it. But I'm telling you that on Thursday night of that revival, that was just a good night to be there. I don't know why, what it was. It was probably one of the lowest attended services of it. But there was a sweetness. There was a specialty to it. That, beloved, all of us, I think, got gotten on to at some point in that service. All of us were having to repent of something and trust in God of something. Can I tell you that's the goal every single week? is that when we come in here, there ought to be something in our lives that is challenging us. This letter from Paul is a glorious thing. It is a hard truth, but it is a blessed and a wonderful truth. Because of what he says in verse 10, told those that were here with us last week, I said that is a transitional verse, how he says in verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What a wonderful blessing that that is that Paul is looking up to it. And he said, this is about Christ. This is about Jesus. This is about the one that I'm proclaiming. I'm not trying to persuade y'all. I'm not trying to bring myself before y'all. No, I'm trying to proclaim to, to God. I'm trying to stand before God. Yes, I'm proclaiming these truths unto y'all. But it is God that I'm trying to persuade. It is God that I'm trying to live before. And exactly how we should be living our lives is as before God himself. Perhaps that's what the Church of Galatia has been experiencing is they're not living their life. Paul is giving us clues as to some of the problems that the Church of Galatia is experiencing. Now, we've already read the letter, so we know a lot of the problems that they're going to face. But if you're just reading this letter and you're, you're processing as you're going and you're, you're clinging to these words that Paul has given you, you're beginning to see that, yes, you've been removed from it. That was problem number one. But we also see that part of that problem, that's the problem they've been removed from the true gospel of Christ. The rest of the problem is they seem to be seeking to please other men. They seem to be seeking to please those around them. We've got things going on here. We took, and y'all, I mean, y'all see the obvious things that we did. Y'all see that we rearranged some pews. Beloved, it's not to please any one of us. It doesn't matter to us. We could have kept the same views. It didn't really matter. But at the same time, there's something that we're trying to do. We're trying to offer the sanctuary as a place to reach others. There's some other things that we can do, even with our facilities, to make things look different. But let us be careful that we're not trying to seek to please other men. Let us be careful that we're not trying to look like other churches. And that Now, there's some things that other churches that are doing saying, hey, we might need to do that too. There's nothing wrong with that. We sent a couple down to Jacksonville last year to be spies on a church down there on that church in Jacksonville. And if you're ever on vacation, I want you to, on Sunday, go spy on another church. That's one of the best things you can do. They might be doing some things right. That church was a very welcoming church. Now, we've not had that many visitors to try to make welcome. We've had a few over time, and we need to be welcoming them. But there's something we need to be mindful of. If we start seeing others, maybe we do need a greeting team. Maybe we do need to be more like that church in Jacksonville. That's not necessarily wrong. But if we're doing it just because we want to look like them, instead of to reach people, we're doing it for the wrong reason. If we're rearranging things in the building just to please one another and just to please other churches, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. But do you know what my heart to you today is? 
that I got to sit there with y'all, and that's the most encouraging chew and chat I think we've ever had. That's the, that's the chew and chat that I came out the most encouraged from because I could hear your hearts, and I could hear that that's what y'all want to do. Y'all want to reach other people. Y'all are not trying to satisfy men. Y'all are trying to satisfy God and said, I cannot tell y'all how wonderful that meeting was. And I just want to say thank you as, as the blessing and the privilege of getting to be your pastor. I'm unworthy of it. Somebody else should be up here as far as I'm concerned. But what a blessing it is because I see your heart. And I just want to thank you that when I read verse 10, I'm looking upon a church that, hey, we're not perfect. Hey, there's things we need to do. But y'all know what? Y'all have got that goal to do those things. Y'all have got that goal to proceed forward. Let God give us the energy. Let God give us the stamina and the know-how and the vision and everything else wherewith to accomplish it. What a blessing verse 10 has been even among us in the past few weeks. Nevertheless, we need to address what Paul's saying to the church of Galatia. He says, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. We've already been addressing this, that it's not after man. He begins to explain himself. He says, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with being taught the gospel. That's something we need to be doing. As a matter of fact, what we read each and every single week in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we see that we have got the duty and the responsibility to be teaching these things. But at the end of the day, if you're ever going to know and understand these things, you've got to get in the Word of God yourself. You can't depend just here on Sundays. I challenged a group, and I, I asked them, and I'm not going to ask y'all to raise your hands either. I said, but I asked this one group, I said, how many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you have a regular Bible reading plan? I don't know how many it was, and asked them to read their plans. And then I asked them, and I said, how many of you have a regular plan to study the Word of God? And you can just see the facial features on some people. Like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean study the Word of God? Are there times that you're studying the Word of God? It's wonderful to read the Word of God. It's wonderful to have devotions in the Word of God and to see that. But sometimes we just need to dive in and to study the Word of God. We have a tendency to do that here. We do deeper dives into Scripture in some ways. But in some ways, we're just barely scratching the surface. We're not getting into the, the upper echelons. But, beloved, we're trying to be faithful to the text. We're trying to be faithful to these things. That every single week, ultimately, one of the things that I'm doing, hopefully, if we're doing it right, is teaching you how to read your Bible. That's part of what we're doing here, is how do we look at the Bible? How do we look at the Scriptures? Because, beloved, as much as my, my job affords me to be able to do, as my role affords me to be able to do as your pastor and the preacher here, it is you that's going to have to study the Word of God. It's you that's going to have to understand the Word of God. I can't understand it for you. I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make it drink. And Paul understands that, that Paul had to receive the gospel of himself. But Paul was also special. It says, for ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. If there was anybody to creep into the church unawares, we have that letter from Jude, y'all know of, that it says, and people have crept in unawares. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking with Paul. That's not what we're talking about at all. No, Paul was a special conversion here. Paul was a special one that he was the one that was wasting the church. He was seeking the destruction of the church. He was seeking to do as much damage to the church as what he could do. And yet, who does God come after but him? What a glorious and a wonderful and a marvelous thing of God that God comes to him. The man that is wasting God's church, it says in verse 14, and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. Being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. 
Paul right there is beginning once again to key us into what is this letter about? Because again, we've really not seen why he's writing this letter. We know that they're removed from the gospel. We know that's the chief issue, but he's going to explain that. He's going to tack more information onto that so that we more clearly understand. And verse 15, or verse 14 really does begin to explain that because he was more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of his fathers. That when he relates to his history of the Jewish faith, he is not saying it because he was a Jew. He's saying, no, he was more zealous of his father's traditions. He was not more zealous of the word of God. He was more zealous of the traditions of his father. If you take the Bible and you begin to read it, especially if you just open to the book of Matthew and read your way forward through the four gospels, that's the continuation of what you're going to see is they were about traditions. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were more about traditions. Beloved, if we got a tradition here, Let's be careful about it. I'm not saying let's kill it on the spot. I'm saying let's be careful about what our traditions are. If it's the pews being rearranged, do y'all know that, and I'm trusting with y'all because I know y'all, I know your hearts, I've heard these hearts, that do you know that if you went and did this in most congregations, I would be without, I would be without a position this morning. They would call a vote on the spot and vote me out because we came in here and we changed a bunch of pews around. You think I'm being crazy, but I'm being absolutely honest about that. That would have run some people out of the church because of the traditions. And it's always the funny things that people get obsessed with. My favorite one to talk about is the Lord's table. And is the, is the drape that used to be upon it. Maybe we need to do that here. I don't know. Probably a pretty good idea to keep the table draped before we serve the rest of it. But in a lot of places, the folding of the cloth is so special that if you fold the cloth the wrong way, you just erred. It's like the folding of the cloth of the communion table is so special. And if you do it the wrong way, you just destroyed everybody's hope in Jesus alone. Beloved, as crazy as it sounds, it has split churches. One of my another one of my favorites is, are you a left free will Baptist or a right free will Baptist? And all that it means is when it comes to the foot washing service, which foot do you wash first? You think I'm being crazy, go look that story up. And that's the reason that the right free will Baptist exists. I think the others are just called the free will Baptist. But the right free will Baptist believe that you have to wash the right foot first or you're in error with God in how you're supposed to practice communion. Beloved, we think that these things don't exist, but can I tell you, we're probably all blinded to some of the traditions of what we do here already. We're only a little bit less than three years old, and yet I am sure that we have got some traditions that we don't realize, some traditions that need challenging. Maybe you have got, because I loved hearing a church player say this one time, but that's effectively, we're, talking, we're come together, two different congregations originally that came together. We're really just a church plan is effectively what we are in so many ways, and it's like, you think with the church plan that you're going to be able to craft it however you want to, and that everybody comes in with a blank slate. But that's not true for any of us. Every one of us have come to this place with traditions in mind. And we may not even know them to be traditions. We know them as preferences. We know them as it's got to be this way or it's got to be that way. When gospel, it just doesn't matter. When there might be something. We communicated that last week. Be careful that you don't require something of somebody else that is not necessary for their lives. Again, I, I brought up one particular example. I said this was necessary for my sanctification, though it may not be necessary for your sanctification. And I mean that. There are different things that I cannot do that you might be able to do. I'm not saying sin. None of us are allowed to go around sinning. That's not what I'm saying. But there might be something for me to do that is wrong that is not wrong for you to do. There's different things. I respect the people that won't go into a restaurant to serve alcohol. I still respect them. They believe that way. I've got some friends that believe that way. And you know what? I'm just not one of them. I have friends and dear loved ones that I love and respect dearly. They believe you shouldn't go to a, to a restaurant on Sunday because that's causing other people to work. And you know what? If that's your belief, stick to it. I'm okay with that. I don't believe that way personally, but if that's your belief, stick to it. 
Beloved, we need to be mindful of those things and challenging ourselves to make sure that it doesn't become a tradition. One reason we purposely mixed up the order of service this morning is I don't want to get contented in saying we'd always come here and we read a song first and then we do this and then we do that. And we'd be like, sometimes we need the flexibility to mix things up because it's just become tradition. So many things in our lives and we become zealous about them. I can tell you from my own experience, the rules of the quorum, oh my, were they sacred documents. I'm sorry, but I think sometimes they were more sacred than the Bible. And the rules in the quorum in the church that I grew up in, that was the ruling and governing document was the rules in the quorum. And you know who was the most zealous of those rules in the quorum was me? I was more zealous of those things until somebody put me in the Bible and somebody began to challenge some of my views of the way that I held them. I'm not saying this shows some of those things in the rules in the quorum that I grew up with were necessarily bad. Some of them were good things. Some of them were good hearted. Some of them had just been held as traditions. And that's exactly what Paul was facing was he was faced with things that were traditional things. Things that once served a purpose within the life of the church. Again, just let me give another example because the world's just full of them this morning. I'll never forget Brother Butch Tant giving the example, my pastor, of talking about the example of the lady that when they got married, she'd cut half the ham off and throw it in the trash. And the husband never could understand it. Being like, why do you cut the ham off, half the ham off, and throw it in the trash? And she said, well, that's just what mama always did. And finally, the husband gets up and calls his mother-in-law one day and says, why did you do that? And she said, well, it wouldn't fit in the freezer was the rest of the story. It had a good purpose. There was a good reason as to why she did it, but the daughter didn't know that. The daughter just knew this is what I'm supposed to do. Beloved, do you know our responsibility when we come into this church, when we come together as fellowship? If we're listening to Titus chapter 2, especially if we're listening to the book of Titus to where the older men are teaching the younger men and the older women are teaching the younger women, do y'all know that we have a responsibility as to tell them the why? My dad probably gets frustrated with me, but I'm like, Daddy, sometimes I just need to understand why you're doing something. There's a good reason to it. He's usually always right. Very, very rarely have I ever found where my father wasn't right. But I needed to know why he was doing something. Beloved, sometimes that's what we need to be adamant about doing is teaching people why we do these things so that they don't just become traditions. And can I tell you, the other side of that coin is when we're trying to teach somebody why, we might figure out there's a tradition we don't need anymore. We might be trying to figure out why we do something. It may just not make sense to do it anymore. Maybe something that's no longer a non-issue. Let us be careful that we don't become as Paul was and simply being zealous of the traditions that were set before us or even that we ourselves wind up setting. Let us be careful of those things because look what he says in verse 15. It says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went unto into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Never take Paul into an English classroom because he writes run on sentences and they just keep on going and going and going. I like the way Paul writes. My English teachers never did like the way I wrote because I wrote like Paul because I thought that was how you're supposed to write over there. It wasn't good. Paul keeps going on with this glorious sentence, but if you check the first part of the sentence, there's a reason. It's a singular thought as to why this is one sentence. It says, but when it pleased God. First of all, that's all that we should ultimately care about. Does this or does not that please God? That's what our traditions we should be mindful of. Is this something that pleases us or is this something that pleases God? Second of all, it says, who separated me 
from my mother's womb. That's a pretty big experience right there. Any lady that's ever given birth, y'all understand, that's a really big experience. When, when God separates from the womb, what was that? That's a big deal over there. A lot of ladies wind up having to face terrible issues with postpartum depression. I cannot imagine all those things. I'm a male. I'm never going to get to imagine those things. And I'm kind of thankful for those different things ladies have to go through. I'm kind of thankful that I'm not one who has to face that particular blessing. We're going to pray for all those who wind up bearing children. And I'm sorry for all those who have born children. I know that that must have been a painful experience. And that's the same kind of illustration that Paul is offering here is that this is like unto childbirth when you are born again. Well, hallelujah, that begins to sound like John chapter 3 to where Jesus calls Nicodemus up to him and says unto Nicodemus is asking him all these questions and Jesus tells him he must be born again. Nicodemus responds, he says, what do you mean? How can I crawl into my mother's womb again and be born again? Nicodemus is just looking like Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. How many times have we come to Christ and said, Jesus, that just doesn't make any sense? Can I tell you, Ms. Terry and I, we were riding down the road the other day and we saw a sign that says Jesus this or whatever. It gives some information. And I'm like, do you know the rest of the world probably doesn't understand that? The rest of the world probably doesn't understand. Honestly, if you even said Jesus is coming, repent, most people aren't going to understand that. Most people that have never been affiliated with the church are never going to understand that. We don't realize that though those words have power, those, those words are absolutely true, they've become a tradition that we don't even realize. That the rest of the world is no longer familiar with that language. That if we were to say we're born again Christians, even though that's redundant, if we were to say we're born again Christians, a lot of people don't know what that means. Is now, fortunately, I, I rejoice. There was a day, and it was it was a Columbus Day. Uh, I don't know what year, probably Columbus Day of 2015 or 2016. I went into the post office because every one of us at that office had forgotten the post office is closed. You're not going to be able to get anything. And I went to the post office that day. And I asked one uh, one gentleman how he was, and he asked me how I was, and I said something, some kind of crazy answer that I'd given. And he said, well, you must be born again. I rejoiced in that day that that brother looked, and he said that I knew what the language was. But can I tell you, had I been an unbeliever, that might have actually been a gospel element. That might have actually been a form of, of evangelism. Because when I look at that, that was a good question to ask somebody. Are you born again? What do you mean born again? The same question that Nicodemus had. The same question that Nicodemus was a ruler over his people in many ways. Though he should have been a leader. Nicodemus didn't understand the word of Christ when he said that you must be born again. That's one of the best questions you can ask somebody. Are you born again? Because do you know what the likely question is for many? What do you mean born again? What does it mean to be born again? It is an experience like a childbirth. That it is being born again. That he has been separated from his mother's womb. He is no longer among those things. And it was called by the grace of God. That's the only way that we are born again. Is because we have been called of the grace of God. George Whitfield was known for proclaiming that thing over and over in a sermon. And he said, you must be born again. You must be born again. And finally, this lady comes up to him and he says, dear Mr. Whitfield, why are you always saying you must be born again? He said, because, dear lady, you must be born again. That's exactly the purpose that we say. It doesn't make sense. But hallelujah, it's a gospel door. It's an open door to evangelism. It's an open door to share what do these things mean is you're an entirely new person. Paul, though he once persecuted the church, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, there down to verse 23, I guess. Though once Paul persecuted the church, he's no longer the one that was zealous of the traditions of his father. Now, I submit to you that if you know the life of Paul, that just as zealous as he was for the traditions of his father, that's just how zealous he was for the things of Christ within a little bit more. Whatever the way that you were before you were saved, do you know that you retain a lot of those qualities? For some of those of you that I'm saved at nine years old, I really don't remember what I was like before I was saved. 
I remember how Jesus has made me over the years, but I really don't remember what I was like beforehand. But for those of you who have had a later conversion experience, perhaps you remember the way that you used to be before. Do you know that God will use a lot of the same things that you used to have in your life? He'll use some of those same things to accomplish his purposes. That Paul had great education. Do you know that God used that great education to reach other people? Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't highly educated. But do you know that God used that to confound people? Go read the book of Acts. How they looked at, at Peter and James and the other James, not the James brother of Jesus, but the other James. They looked at Peter and James and they said, there's nothing but a bunch of fishermen. They're trying to tell us rulers over Israel how to do these things. Beloved, God will use you and your capacities before you were saved. He will use those same capacities that you had in order to make you an instrument of his righteousness, in order to make you an instrument of his will and of his way. And that's exactly what he did. I've got a cousin that he talks about. He says you with his kids, and mercy sakes, he's got enough kids for anybody and their brother. But he's got a slew of them, and they're all big personality kids. And he's a big personality person. He says, I don't care whether you argue nurture versus nature. They come out wired a certain way. And I crack up because all of his kids are wired a certain way. And I think they're all wired. They're all high wired or something because they've all got more energy than any one person ought to. But he's got a point. We come out hardwired a certain way. God is use, going to use your personalities, the different traits that you have. But you know what else he's going to do? He's going to take, take you and conform you to his will. Where once you live for yourself, he will now cause you to live for him. What a glorious truth that is. I heard somebody give the example. I believe it was first from door. He gave the example of this. He said, we don't have much of a problem when somebody begins, when Jesus begins to work on us because it's like he's knocking out the old walls. He's replacing the old wiring and everything else. And we think he's going to make us a beautiful little cottage to sit on the side of the road. And he said, the next thing you know, you feel the very foundations of your life shaking. And, and next thing you know, you see that he is making you into a palace because he himself is going to come and live therein and dwell therein. And I've not been able to get that example out of my head. You're not saved for your purpose. You're saved according to his purposes, according to the purposes of God. And that's exactly what Paul is communicating over here. He's saying, I'm not proclaiming these things for myself. I'm proclaiming these things because they of God. I was born unto him. That means I'm responsible unto him. It says to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to the, unto Damascus. God was using him differently from what the way that God was using these other apostles. Paul was made an apostle because of the way that God called him and the way that God revealed him to himself. Paul was an apostle of God, but he had a little bit different mission than what the rest of them had. God was using these other men and their capacities to convert those to be means of conversion in the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas there versus where Paul was going to be used as a means of as a means of transferring the gospel, of proclaiming the gospel unto the Gentiles. Paul had a different purpose. Beloved, sometimes God might call one of us, even through this congregation, to have a different purpose. God might call somebody out of this congregation to go be somewhere else. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in that. I'm not going to want to be upset. God might take you and plant you somewhere else. If God takes you and plants you somewhere else for his good and his glory, well, hallelujah, I'm going to be okay with it. But, beloved, if you just go sit in the house and don't do anything and you're not being used, you're not going to have to disagree with us. I was talking about someone. I wrote my son in his house. Somebody that's never here that hasn't been here in over a year. Beloved, I'm not upset that they're going to another church. I'm going to rejoice that they're going to another church. And I don't know their story. They're not in contact with me anymore. But, beloved, that family, as long as they're going to church, I'm okay with it. You don't have to come here. That's not 
You're not going to upset me if you're going to another faithful church. But if you're just sitting there doing nothing, you're not living according to your gospel called purpose. Do you see that Paul, when he communicates that he was saved, he was saved into a purpose? That his purpose was to go preach unto the Gentiles? That his purpose was to go preach unto these other nations? It says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Paul is resting that the mission is about what God has given him to do. God has told him to say. In verse 21, afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. We've already covered verse 23, but look at verse 24. And they glorified God in me. Do you know that we talked last week about your testimony? And I was trying to give a word of caution. Uh, the greatest way to share the gospel, the greatest way to evangelize is not just sharing your is not just sharing your, your story about what happened, not just sharing your testimony. And I will stand by that to a jump until I know some faithful people that say it's the best way to proclaim, it's the best way to evangelize. And I'm just gonna tell you, it's not all of evangelism. If you're not telling people the gospel when you're telling them your testimony, your testimony may be carried by the gospel. Make sure that you're telling them that you were a sinner created by God and you were in need of repentance and that you repented and trusted in him and now you'll have a home in eternity with him. But had you not, you would have an eternity in a lake of fire separated from the joyfulness of his presence. You can tell them those things. You can present the gospel through the means of your conversion because here's the glorious truth. While your testimony, your conversion experience is not all of it, you've got to tell the rest of the story. Beloved, he has given you a unique story. That everyone gathered in this building has a unique story. I've never heard my father communicate it, but there's a handful of times. But his conversion experience is one of my favorites in this world here. I don't know if it's just because he's my daddy. I just enjoy hearing my daddy's conversion stories. But I love hearing his conversion story. Though I don't know that I've ever heard him tell it to me but one time. And yet I can remember it so well because of the effect that it had on me. My grandfather, I remember his conversion experience. That they were in revival. It was the first week in August. I can almost tell he is. And that he went out there beside an old stump that old so-and-so had been trying to burn out. I can tell you his testimony but beloved it doesn't do a bit of good if he's not proclaiming the gospel but beloved I want to say that he's given you a special testimony he will use your testimony but don't forget the gospel with it don't make your testimony about you don't make your life about you make your life about God make your story about God make everything that you wake up and do about God Beloved, it's easy to live for self, especially in this culture where everybody seems to be interested in self-promotion and all of these other things. And I'm not going to beat up on them. They're just doing what the world is teaching them to do. It's just exactly what Satan would be having them to do. If they're still under the bondage and the yoke of sin, I'm not looking at any of them and looking at them with hatred and bitterness in my heart. No, I'm looking at them with compassion and love for them, saying, God, would you convert them? Y'all heard in the prayer this morning that I made mention of, and it is the month of June, and June in so many ways is known for this different thing in our country. But, beloved, it doesn't bother me a bit. They can have the most, awesome, the most audacious displays of whatever they want. They're not bothering me a bit. They're doing exactly what I would expect an unbeliever to do. They're doing exactly what I expect an unbelieving to do. They don't bother me a bit just because they believe differently. What bothers me is us. 
What bothers me is how we handle things, how we handle them. Now, Psalm 15, I've been, been meditating on it for like three or four weeks now. And it does say, in the eyes of him, it's talking about a righteous person, in the eyes of him, a vile person is condemned. There is a certain contentment. There is a certain condemnation that we have for understanding that vileness. We're not wanting to participate. And, beloved, if you're participating in these displays and the things that happened in the month of June, if you're participating in, them, in those things and proclaiming to be a Christian, something is off about your testimony. I'm not saying you need to go be hateful. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you right the opposite. I'm going to ask you to not be hateful. I'm going to ask you to have more love and more compassion on those people than what you've ever found possible. To be the kindest and most gentle person they've ever had. Because again, the ones that I always saw Jesus dealing with the most harshly was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It was the people that proclaimed to know God and yet did not know Him. Beloved, the ones that need us the most are the ones that don't know these truths. The ones that run from these truths. I track some of these arguments, and the worst thing to hear, the thing that I hear the most is, Christians are some of the meanest, most hateful people there are. Now, hear me tell the story, but a lot of people, a lot of waiters and a lot of wait staff don't want to work on Sundays because of how bad they get treated by Christians in this area. I'm begging you, don't let that be us. Do y'all know that that's just being zealous of the traditions of our fathers? Now, admittedly, my great-grandfather, who stood in this same general area and proclaimed the gospel for many years, I think his head died in 1993. He never got to see some of these things. He was probably made aware. He was a truck driver. He was probably made aware that some of these things were out in the world. I think his head would spin in 2023. I think 30 years later, he would just be sitting here with his head spinning, not knowing how to respond to it. But you know what I hope he would do? I hope he'd confront with compassion. I don't know. I've never met the man. I've never lied in his life. He died before I was born. But, beloved, I hope that we confront sin with compassion. We do need to be as the book of Judah. It says, some hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Others have compassion making a difference. Beloved, we need to know and let God give us the grace of knowing where to apply. Don't let us be fearful of people that walk different than us just because it's different with traditions and what we were taught. Let us look to people that live a lifestyle that is contrary to the word of God. Because, beloved, as much as we can talk about one particular avenue, if people are shacked up and living in sin outside of marriage, that's just as big of a sin. If somebody is a living drunkard, always drunk, always indulging in those things, in drunkenness which prevents their sober-mindedness, that's the same kind of lifestyle of sin. If somebody is living in intense pridefulness and just upset about themselves and just all about themselves, beloved, that's the same level of sinfulness. It needs to be killed as much as any other sin. Let us not be people that are authorizing certain pet sins because they don't conflict our traditions as much as these other sins do. Let us be people that are not zealous of our Father's traditions, but let us be zealous of the things of our Heavenly Father. Let us be ones that are zealous in communicating the gospel. Let us be upset when somebody tries to pervert the gospel. Let us not allow another one in this congregation that would pervert the gospel. Y'all heard me praying. I promise you, I'm fine on the landing spot here. Beloved, I'm praying for somebody to come lead the music up here. I need to be able to transfer that to somebody else. Now, I still want to be involved in picking the songs and working with them. I want to work with them. I don't want to work against them. I want to work with somebody. But we're not going to let it be somebody that comes in and perverts the gospel. We're not going to let it be somebody that comes in and we start singing songs that don't match up with the gospel. There's a few of them. There's probably a few. Actually, I know there's a couple of them in the Blue Doors. No, we're not going to sing here. We're just not going to. Because they don't they don't witness the gospel. They don't have need of being in that hymn. There's a couple of them that read the church hymn that don't need to be in that hymn. We don't need to sing those songs. We're not going to allow somebody to come in and allow us to start singing songs we don't need to sing. Beloved, we're not going to let somebody come in and pervert the gospel. But, beloved, do you know that we're going to bring other people in and let them 
learn of the gospel, let them be taught of the gospel, expect that they should know the gospel themselves. If ever we welcome new members into this church, beloved, there needs to be a strong discipleship volunteer. There needs to be a good leading. If the older women need to lead the younger women, the more mature women need to lead the less mature women in the faith. That's the way that these things need to be. The more mature men need to lead the less mature men. Beloved, there is a Bible way that we're supposed to do things. Let us not look like the traditions of our fathers. Let us look like the model that our Heavenly Father has given us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for these wonderful words. Even as we are about to celebrate in the Lord's Supper, oh God, we thank you for that great occasion. We thank you for this occasion of being able to dine on your word. God, may we richly dine on it on Sundays when we gather together, feasting together. But God, may we also richly be dining on it outside of these walls. We pray for those that have never been born again, those that have never truly been converted unto you. We pray that they would be born again, that they too may experience in the great joys that we have of just following you and what you would have us to do. Oh God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.